Well, I'd like to uh, start this morning with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And for this, I'm going to require 11 volunteers. That was going to take forever. So what I'm just going to do is name 11 blokes around the room and get them to stand up. Don't worry, blokes. All you have to do is stand up. Ben, you're smiling. You can stand up. There's one. Ben, on your feet. Okay, Josh, you can stand up. Andy Cooper, you can stand up. And Simon Earth and Paddy and Dave, you can stand up. How many have we got to? One, two. The problem is counting. Go on, Kush. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, Hilton and Mark takes us to eight. Is that right? Have I counted right? Three, seven, no, nine. I need two more. David, one more. Go on, Ian. You're looking at your smiling face. Pick on you. Ian at the back there. Okay, here's a miracle of the power of the Holy Spirit. So here are 11 blokes. That's the number of people Jesus is speaking to in John 14. Yep. Uh, there's 11 because Judas has already left to betray him. They're gathered in this upper room. They're fearful because Jesus has said that he's going away. They cannot come with him. They're confused. They don't understand him. They're full of questions. And yet, because the Holy Spirit comes upon those 11 men, 2,000 years later and over 2,000 miles away, you are here this morning. Look at them. Nothing special about them. No great social media presence. Just ordinary blokes with ordinary jobs, ordinary understanding. But because the Spirit of God comes upon them, across the world today, millions upon millions of people are worshipping Jesus Christ. Just, just 11, that's all the were. You can sit down, guys, now. Thanks very much indeed. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, have you thought about the, the witness of your own presence in this room? The fact you're here testifies to the fact that God, through the power of His Spirit, did something in the lives of a tiny number of fearful followers so that they became the most passionate evangelists the world has ever seen. They were willing to lay down their lives so the message you are not sure whether you believe or not has been heard all over the world. That is the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, now in order we've seen to do that, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. Actually, he's not really paused for breath from where we ended last time. And, and we ended in verses 12 to 14 of John 14. Let me read them to you. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And those greater things that Jesus has been talking about, made possible by him going to the Father, by him going to the cross on the very next day, by him rising from the dead on the third day, and then ascending to heaven, the greater things are the things of making the good news that God so loves the world that he's given his one and only Son, that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, in making that news known. That's the greater things that the disciples are going to be about as Jesus goes to die for sin, to rise to bring life, to ascend to heaven so that he then pours out his spirit upon them. And to do those things, they need to ask him, he says, ask in my name and, and I will give you what you ask for. And we saw asking in the name of Jesus was asking for what he wants and asking with his authority. And it may be that the disciples are thinking, well, 
What do I get if I ask in Jesus' name? What what will be the result? And today Jesus answers, and he says, it's not what you get, it's who you get if you ask in my name. And here's the first of three promises. Jesus says, the Father will give you my spirit. The Father will give you my spirit. Verse 15, if you love me and keep my commands, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. It's actually better translated, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's not really an order from Jesus. It's a description of of how the disciples are feeling. You know, if you ask the disciples in that upper room, do you love Jesus? They say, yeah, we love Jesus. Why do you think we're here? If you said, do you want to keep his commands? They'd say, yeah, he's God's Messiah. He's the chosen king. Of course we could keep his commands. The problem is they're struggling to make sense of what Messiah, sort of Messiah Jesus is going to be. That There's no glorious public parade. They're huddled away in an upper room. They're not planning a revolution. It seems to involve a lot of teaching. I wonder if you ever feel like that. You feel like that being a Christian, you've signed up to the Son of God's team, but it all seems rather unglorious. Maybe if I said to you, do you love Jesus? You'd say, yeah, I really do love Jesus. Not well, not as much as I should, but I do. Do you want to do follow him? Do you want to keep his commands? Yes, I do want to obey him. I really do. So it's not a bad definition of a Christian, someone who loves Jesus and wants to follow him. But do you know what? It's so hard. It doesn't seem so victorious and glorious. Which is why the next couple of verses are so vital. Verse 16 again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Advocate is a legal legal word. It describes, say, the the lawyer who argues your case in court, who's on your side. The word literally means one who is called alongside you. So Jesus says, I will ask one who will be called alongside you to live with you. More than that, he says, to be in you. One who will be there to help you through every moment of every day. To walk with you through life, strengthening you. The the arm, literally around your shoulders beside you. But but more than that, the one who will be in you. The one who will empower you and enable you to do everything that I ask you to do. And the one in your corner, says Jesus, he's the spirit of truth. So when you're struggling to believe, he's the one who will remind you about me, Jesus, who is the truth. When you're tempted by the lies of the world around you that, that actually contentment and happiness and security is found in everything else other than Jesus Christ, the Spirit's the one who'll take you back to the beautiful truth of the gospel, the good news about him. Uh, some other translations have the word counselor rather than advocate. And that's a, a little bit confusing in our culture. It's It's okay if you think of a legal counsellor, but most people, when they think about counsellor, think of someone who asks you to sit on a comfortable couch and and tell tell them your your problems. Older translations had the word comforter. And again, that can be confusing, because it sounds like someone who's just there for you to cry on their shoulder. But but the old meaning of the word comforter meant someone who came alongside you to, to strengthen you for a battle. And that's what the Spirit is going to do, says Jesus. Uh, famously in the uh, Bayer Tapestry, William the Conqueror is pictured 
winning the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And in uh, one sheet of the tapestry, or one uh, section of the tapestry, Bishop Odo, who seems to be a little bit more like the baby-eating Bishop of Bath and Wells from Blackadder than actually most Episcopal leaders of today. Bishop Odo is there with a big club, and he's beating the Norman troops to encourage them to keep going in the battle. And an old translation describing what happened used to say beneath it, Bishop Odo comforts his troops. That's what Bishop Odo is doing. You see, the Holy Spirit's work won't always feel like a a warm bath surrounded by vanilla-scented candles. Sometimes it's more like a a spiritual boot up the backside. That's because he's another advocate. Did you see that? Another advocate. Uh, The first advocate, of course, is Jesus himself there with his disciples. He's on their side. And what has he done as he's gone through life? Sometimes he's spoken words of tenderness and gentleness to his disciples. Sometimes he's, he's spoken rebuke. You know, Jesus says this to his disciples, are you so dull? He says that more than once in the Bible. Because the Spirit, did you notice, is a person. He, it's not, not a force. He, the Spirit. In fact, Jesus says most wonderfully, the Spirit is the one, he, who brings the very presence of Jesus to us. Do you see that in verse 18? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I can't imagine what it would be to to lose both your parents at a young age. I know there are people in our church who've experienced that tragedy. I think here, dare I say it, that the picture is even of something worse. This is of someone who's been abandoned by their parents. One of the hardest questions you face as an adoptive parent is is when your child asks you, why why doesn't my mummy want me? And, And you don't answer. Well, it's not actually she didn't want you, darling. It's, it's, it's she couldn't look after you. And that's, that's the, the sort of feeling these disciples have. The one, the one they love, the one they've, they've followed around for three years, it looks like he's just about to abandon them, to leave them. He, he can't look after them. And Jesus says, no, when you feel like that, when you feel I've left you alone, when the darkness overwhelms you, and the sorrow is too much to bear, and you just feel that I'm not there, well, no. Know this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. My spirit, he'll be with you, and he will be in you. And that's not wishful thinking. But because as verse 19 tells us, those very disciples see Jesus again. Uh, He doesn't just go to a cross and die On the third day, they see him alive, and they know that he's risen, and because he is alive, he pours life into them by his Spirit. And then read this in verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. They'll begin to understand that this intimate relationship that God the Son, Jesus, has with his Father in heaven is one that they have been brought into because the presence of God himself by his spirit has come to dwell in them. So they are in some amazing, mysterious way bound up into the relationship of the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. They experience the very love that's the heart of the universe. And the Spirit makes that love real for them in their hearts. He makes it real for us. He's the one who enables us to know, verse 21, the love of Jesus more and more. 
as we open up the word. He's the one who draws us into a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's the promise for you today. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to do what he wants, if, if a couple of weeks ago when you heard, heard Jesus say that actually what we need to do is to love one another as I have loved you, and you thought, I do want to love them, Lord, but it is just so hard. Well, then know that the Father has sent the Spirit of the Son into your heart so that you might know His love and be enabled to live a different life for Him. Ah, that, that won't mean that you, you cruise through the day with a ready breath glow. Some of us are so young, you don't even know what the ready breath glow is, so I put the picture of the ready breath glow up, okay? That sort of, you cruise through the day warm in a, a state of complete spiritual serenity, whatever life throws at you. No, no sometimes when you've got Jesus in your corner, it'll feel like he is speaking truth into your frail conscience as you failed again, whispering, whispering his promises, promises from his word into your broken heart. At other times, it'll feel like he's taking a club to your half-hearted worldly ideas and smashing them to, to bring you back to him. But, but the great news is that the work of the Spirit will always be drawing you closer to Christ, reassuring you of his presence, and enabling you to be the one who does those greater things of making him known. But, but Judas, not Judas Iscariot, remember he's already left. Judas, he's got a question. Okay, we're going to make things known. The Spirit is coming. But, but who are we going to make it known to? Look what he says in verse 22. Judas, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Okay, you're going to give us the most wonderful revelation of who you are, Lord Jesus. You're going to, your spirit is going to come into our hearts that we might know God's love through you. But, but why us? Why not the whole world? And that's because Judas and the disciples, they know their Old Testaments. Uh, the Old Testament told them that when the Messiah came, it was going to be enormous news. Oh, we were watching the, the film Bohemian Rhapsody about Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen. And it talked about the Live Aid concert. Some of us are, remember that. It was going to be the biggest news of the world of the time, a global TV audience of 1.5 billion. Well, well, the Old Testament says that the Messiah arriving is going to be the biggest gig of the entirety of human history. For one day only, the Messiah will bring you global judgment. Every man, woman, and child who's ever lived will have a revelation of God as they face his king. Well, at the moment, Jesus, it looks like there's just 11 of us. We're upstairs hiding in a room, and you're making promises. Where's the big gig? And Jesus answers. And I love the way he answers because he, he doesn't answer in one way. He, he first reassures Judas, and then he tells them what they're going to do. Here's the second promise. He says to Judas, I will give you my peace. That's what he says in verse 27, isn't it? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And that peace comes from knowing the security of his presence. So in verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. I literally, teaching is is obey his word, not in the sense of just a set of rules, but the whole word about the Lord Jesus 
that the one who is God's son come to save us. If, if you love me, says Jesus, and that's the truth you're clinging to in your life, know this, my father and I will come and take up residence with you forever. Uh, the word home is the same word as we saw in chapter 14 and verse 2 when Jesus had said, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Back there he was saying, in heaven there's no shortage of space for anyone who follows me. In the future you will have a home with my father. And now he says, while you wait for that future in heaven with my father, my father and I will come and make our home with you forever. We're committed to you. You see, God comes closer than any human relationship. A Christianity is not a philosophy of life where you sort of think about stuff out there. Well, isn't that interesting? You know, what, what the Bible has to say. Nor is it a God who, who gives you a, a set of good ideas or, or a lifestyle guide. No, no Christianity is uniquely personally and intimately knowing God who comes up and takes residence in your life by the power of his spirit. And that's why Jesus says in the next verse that, that him, loving him, is bound to what he says. You can't love God, says Jesus, and reject the message about me because in the end I'm the only one who brings you into what is a genuine loving relationship with God, close, personal, intimate. And the message about that relationship is the one he reassures his disciples that they're going to be empowered to remember by his Spirit. That's what he does in verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now that can't be a promise for us today unless one of us is like 2,000 and 50 years old because we weren't there were we you didn't actually hear what Jesus said so he can't remind you of what he said to you this this is a promise for the apostles that the spirit will, will come upon them and remind them of everything that Jesus said but that's great reassurance for us because it means that the words we have in our hand today well they're not just that the apostles got together and had some sort of writing group and went well what did he say was it I'm I'm the bread of life or I have a shed for your wife I'm not sure can you remember John let's just let's go with I'm bread of life that sounds better doesn't it it's not they had some sort of writing group desperately trying to remember what Jesus said no he sent his spirit upon them so that they remembered his word and, and not just the gospels the old testament is described as being God breathed God spirited out Paul's writings in the New Testament are described as being the scriptures, words that are from God. So, so as we come to the Bible, we come to the word of God written through the men by the spirit of God. So we come to hear God speak to us. If, if we want to hear the, the voice of God's spirit, then we come to his word and we get reading. And with that reassurance, the, the reassurance that that. These words, the words they're going to remember, bring the reality of the truth about a, a beautiful message where God takes up residence in your life. Jesus makes the promise of verse 27. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled 
and do not be afraid. That's how the chapter started. There it was, don't let your hearts be troubled because there's a home with my Father for you in heaven. Here it's, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid because my Father and I will make our home with you and we'll give you the Spirit so that you remember everything that I've said to you. The peace of the presence of God the Father and Son in your heart, the certainty of that. Now, Now the world can't give you that. When John uses the term world, he's not like talking about planet Earth. He's talking about our society, our global society, humanity, that has said, actually, God doesn't exist. Jesus is a waste of time. I'm going to have my own ideas about God. I think I'll live for myself and rule my own life. That's the world he's talking about. And that world, says Jesus, can't give us peace. I mean, you, you actually don't need me to tell you the world can't can't give you peace, do you? I mean, I presume that like me, your life is not one of total calm and serenity where you just trust God for everything every day as you glide through it in gentle peace. If it is, please come and see me afterwards because I want some of what you're taking. That's not what the world does for us, is it? We do try and look to the world to create security and contentment and peace. We, we move job or we move house or we move wife or we have more me time or more holidays or more meditation. And of course, all that takes a lot of effort and mind. So we get stressed probably trying to work out how to have more peace. But we don't get it. And Jesus says, no, my peace I give to you. If you, just, if you just look to me, I give you, I leave you a peace the world cannot give. And he doesn't just say that. You see, the next day he goes to the cross to secure that so that we can have the certainty of peace with God, a, a relationship with God restored forever because the Son of God has died for the way that we have wrecked our peace with God and wrecked the peace in our lives and other people's. And Jesus says, last of all, in the light of that cross, you need to know, the world will know my love. The world will know my love. Look at verse 28. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'll be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Look, says Jesus, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to the cross the next day. You can't come with me. But if you really understood what was going on, If you really understood that actually I'm happiest when I'm pleasing my Father, if you really loved me, then then you'd be glad. Uh, But before you understand that, that there's a dark path that I have to walk, verse 29 and 30. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. As Jesus teaches his disciples, he says, there's going to be confusion. You're not going to understand what's going to happen. We know that. We know they they run away. They're afraid as Jesus is arrested in just a few hours' time. But, But you need to understand this, that actually the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. And the prince of this world is is a way of talking of the devil. He's the prince of this world because he's convinced the people of this world of those great lies. God doesn't really matter. 
Jesus is a waste of time. Run your life your way and see how great it is. And so he has rule over everyone who believes his lies, who are suckered by his lies, who follow him as a result. And we've already seen that that the devil has come into the life of Judas Iscariot, so he's gone out to betray Jesus. And now, soon, Judas is coming back and Jesus is going to be arrested. So Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming. And to those disciples, it looks like evil has won. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be crucified. But they need to know it's all part of the plan. That the, the devil actually has no hold over me. That there's no battle really here between good and evil. And you know that, don't you? You know that your life is not a, a battle between good and evil, where you know the, the devil and Jesus are like angels on your shoulder, you know, a bit like uh, one of those Hollywood films and they're sort of fighting it out all the time and sometimes Satan gets the upper hand and you do terrible things and sometimes Jesus has a good day at the office. It's sort of like a, a, a bit of a, a spiritual version of the Game of Thrones. That idea is called dualism. has nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. No, no, the Bible says the devil, Satan, the prince of this world, is a real, personal, evil opponent of God who wants to destroy God's people and tempt them away. But actually, he has no power over them. He's just a liar. So even at the point where he thinks he is winning his biggest victory, even as he seems to orchestrate the trial and death of God's saving king, Jesus Christ, he's actually being used by God to fulfill his eternal plan to show the world the enormity of God's love. And that's what verse 31 says. Do you see that in verse 31? But he comes, the devil comes, the prince of this world comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He is being allowed to, to bring about this evil as part of that plan that my Father and I hatched before the creation of the world, that I would go to the cross to die for his people. I'm going to be mocked and spat upon and beaten and lied about and nailed to a cross. All great acts of evil orchestrated by the devil under the plan of God. And I'm going to do it so the world might see, I love my father, says Jesus, and I always want to obey him. See, Jesus wasn't a victim at the cross. As he, as he stumbles up the hill to Calvary, he, he doesn't do it uh, out of any sense of shame or regret. He does it because he wants to obey his Father, who he loves. As he stretches out his arms to be nailed to the cross, they don't have to drag his arms back because he's fighting to get away. He willingly extends them because he loves his father. And this is the plan of his father to save people and to bring them to him for all eternity. So he willingly lays his hands on the cross. Even as he, the son, sustains and gives breath to the men who smash the hammers into the nails. Everything about it is because Jesus loves his Father and loves to obey him. And when the world understands that, when the message of the cross is preached, says Jesus, they'll see the beauty of the love that is at the heart of the universe, Father, Son, by the power of the Spirit. 
You see, that's why I guess Paul says, the Apostle Paul, I preach Christ crucified, because it's the message of Christ crucified that shows the world the genuine love of God. Now, here's the thing. What does Jesus say to us this morning? He says, my Father will give you my spirit. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. He'll empower you. He's in your corner. He's going to keep you going. He he says that, that as a result, I will give you my peace. You'll know Father and Son dwelling with you. You'll know that the great message of of love in the Bible because it's been recorded by the power of the Spirit. And therefore, you'll also be able to know that the world will know my love as the message of the cross goes out because tomorrow is not the devil winning his greatest victory. It is God's plan coming about as we smash evil once and for all and deal with your evil and your rejection of God. Now go and make those greater things known. It seems to be the end, doesn't it? Verse 14, come, now let us leave. He's actually got a few more things to say in chapters 15 and 16 and a prayer in chapter 17. But but here's the thing. With those promises, will you step out in faith and do the greater things of making Christ known? Knowing he's with you, knowing you have his peace, knowing that as you preach the cross, the world will see the love of God of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Will you do that? Because, because my personal experience is every time I pray and do that, extraordinarily, I'm enabled to speak of Jesus. Not always very clearly. And yeah, I'm a pastor. I might be better than some of you. But, but I'm enabled to speak of Jesus. Will you do that? Because I said at the members' meeting, I'm convinced that the reason that more people are not Christians in this country humanly is not that God has dealt us a lemon of a period of church history where people are slightly less interested in the good news of Jesus. It's because we're too comfortable and we don't speak. Let me illustrate that to you. I won't get the 11 guys to stand up. I did some maths. If those 11 guys spoke to one person a week about Jesus... One person a week, that's 572 people a year. Yep. Just one person a week. One new person a week. If they did that, say they had 40 years life. If they did that for 40 years, do you know how many new people, just one new person a week, would hear the message of Jesus and God's love? Here we go. 22,880. Those 11 guys at one person a week for 40 years. Some of them... 40 years might be too much. Some of them will probably get more than 40 years. One person a week, not a day, 22,880. Do you know what the population of Chessington and Hook in 2011 was? 18,973. The rest of us can sack off. We'll just leave it to those 11 guys. It's great, isn't it? We'll do the whole vision. Guys, it's up to you. We're going to relax for the next 40 years. Just 11 people. Now, there are about just under 300 ish members in our church, about 350 adults turn up on a, on a Sunday morning. Do you know if 350 adults spoke to just one person new a week, one person new a week could be person in little, whatever. Do you know in 40 years, some of you are not going to make it, but some of you have got longer, how many people we talk to about Jesus, just one person a week, the people probably gathered in this room this morning. Do you know how many? 
728,000 people. If we did just one evangelistic conversation a week, us here, we could evangelize the entire population of Manchester and half of Liverpool as well. Or if you're a Liverpool fan, the entire population of Liverpool and half of Manchester as well. One conversation a week. Do you trust him? I'll be with you. My Father will give you the Spirit. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll strengthen you. The advocate, he's on your side. He'll keep you going. You can do greater things, just ask. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we feel so weak and confused and frail. And that's exactly how these 11 men felt in that upper room. And yet here we are today because you poured out your spirit upon them. You filled them with the presence of Jesus. And you poured out your spirit upon us. Lord Jesus, you are with us here this morning and you're with us wherever we go and whatever we do. Please help us to ask you, to ask to do greater things in your name to ask with boldness and confidence, to ask together as we gather to pray and to ask individually as we pray each morning that we might just speak of your great love, the love you have for your Father and the love you've shown us. And we pray it for your name's sake. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs now that remind us that we're never alone with the Lord Jesus Christ and it is all done through his strength and by the power of his presence. As the music starts, let's stand to sing. Dread in every heart 
lost in the world. Now God departs, God departs. The dawn will come, the sun will rise. Out of the grave, we'll see hope's light. Tomb opened wide, stone rolled away. Morning has come, a brand new day. He isn't here, the angels say. He is alive, no longer dead. Our hearts are lifted, souls raised high. Christ is with us, Christ is our life, he's our life. Never alone is now our cry. In joy and grief, in lonely sin, never alone, for Christ is ours. He lives in us, and we live in Him, until we reach that final day. When things are gone, cast far away, we'll live secure, trust in His love. Never alone. Christ is with us. He's with us. And when we reach, until we reach that final day, when fears are gone, cast far away, we'll live secure, trust in His love. Never alone. Christ is with us, he's with us. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this i hold my hope is only jesus for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Saviour He will stay. I labour on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my needs His power is displayed. To this I hold 
my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead all the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ in me no fate i dread i know i am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for jesus bless and suffer for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this i hold my sin has been defeated jesus now and ever is my plea all the chains are released i can see i am free yet not i but through christ in me with every breath i long to follow jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day i know he will renew me until i stand with joy before the throne to this i hold my hope is only jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me when the race when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me take a seat thank you it's been great to be with you all this morning um do stick around for tea and coffee do stay around for a church lunch if you'd like to do that sign up at the fyi area at the back uh, do go and chat to daff who'll be in the, in the fyi area as well if you'd like to pray with someone, uh, there'll also be a, the prayer team at the back near the FYI area with a, a yellow lanyard on as well. So do go and chat to them and pray with them. I've also just had a, a note to say that a phone was found in the car park and it's at reception. So if you're missing a phone, um, go and grab that from reception after the service. Let me pray as we close our time together. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit to us. 
The Spirit who enables us to know the Lord Jesus, to love him and obey him. And the Spirit who enables us to make him known, to proclaim his name to the people around us. Father, we pray that we would live in the power of your Spirit today and this week for your glory. Amen.